All right, we're going to continue with our series today. Now, it's been almost four weeks. I think, I think it has been four weeks. We've been talking about our values. And we have five values as a congregation through which we run all of our programs and ministries. One, the Lordship of Christ, what it means to honor Christ as Lord, the one who not only has the title as God of the universe, but the one that we acknowledge functionally as the Lord of our lives, that he is the one that we obey, to whom we give all of our allegiance and obeisance, that when we say Lord, we mean that you are ruling in our life. It's just not a title. Secondly, we believe in discipleship, and that's what we're continuing today, that we are going to follow him, be disciplined followers of him. That's what a disciple is. Third, we believe in leadership development. So once you are a disciple, we plan to lead you in the way you should go and help you lead others in the way they should go. For you to become a leader in your own sphere, whether it's in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, wherever it might be. Fourth, we believe in evangelism. As much as we love it that you have found us and maybe you came from another church, we're happy you're here. Please know you are not our target. We're not trying to just figure out how we can redistribute the body of Christ and then bring them all here to make us feel better about advancing the kingdom. Do we really advance a kingdom when other people from other congregations join us? Well, maybe in some, in some ethereal way that we're helping you grow. I get all that. But literally, we're taking one fish from one aquarium and putting them in another. Our goal is to go get fish from the ponds, to find some folk that don't know any, anything about Jesus and bring them into the fold. So our, our target is people, are, are people out there who don't know Jesus. That we get others, we're happy about. But that's not our goal. We do not exist to try to glean from other congregations or find homeless Christians. And then lastly, we, we believe in family. Building up the nuclear family, the organization, the institution that God established as the best way to progress his will in the earth and to, to show his glory, his purposes. And we believe in spiritual family. That we have been born into a family by being born again, we call God Daddy, and that makes all of us brothers and sisters. And so we dwell together in an environment of family, not just organization. Those five things are the things that help us do what we do. And you'll find that in children's ministry, youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, congregational settings like this, prayer ministry, our prophetic conference this week, to which all of you need to come. You need to hear God speak to you in a way that's different, and you need to learn how to hear God so that you can hear God speaking through you, know how he can speak through you to help other people. Please come. But all these things have those five things running through. Now, we had already talked about the Lordship of Christ and what that meant. We've been for, for the last two sessions of when I've spoken on this topic on discipleship. And we've been looking at discipleship in the context of prayer. So the first lesson was, was the parameters of prayer. And that Jesus laid out for us how we should pray. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the Lord's Prayer was there in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 or 5. And then the second week was the persistence in prayer. That we need to be people who don't give up just because we didn't get our biblical request when we wanted. Biblical request when we wanted. That when we pray biblically, when we pray theologically correct according to the will of God for our own lives that we are going to receive that, which for, that for which we've asked 
and we're going to find that for which we've been seeking and we're going to see the doors open when, they, when we knock on them. But it might take longer than we think it should. In fact, it always takes longer than we think it should. And so Jesus said, you better not quit in this because everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them if they don't give up. So we talked about persistence. Today we're going to talk about the pneuma of prayer. Now we, we had parameters and persistence and you know I like alliteration. That's what I do. Uh, this one is phonetically not alliteration, but it is at least grammatically and that it's one of those... Uh, Silent P's. And pneuma means this. It's the Greek word for spirit. And everything about Jesus' conversation in the, in the beginning of chapter 11 of Luke is all about getting to this point right here. Everything. So he taught them how to pray and the parameters of it. He began to give them the, 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 the uh, engine behind their prayer and, and making sure they had some perseverance in it that they don't ever give up. And now he's saying, unless you have this one element, it's really not going to help you to pray as you should. And it's the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, Trinity is not a word you will find in Scripture, but it is a concept that we will find all throughout Scripture, that God is, is three persons, yet one God, not three gods. One God, three persons, represented by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have different roles, and they defer to one another in those roles. We see in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God identifies himself in plurality. And he says, let us make man in our image. He wasn't speaking about the angels, because the angels can't create anything. Created things can't create anything. Angels are created. They're created by God. Created things manufacture stuff. We don't create anything. We can't make something from nothing. God is the only one who can create. What we do is we take the things he's created and fashion them into something else. Now we use the term creation to talk about innovation and invention. Don't have a problem with that. But if we're talking theologically, we create nothing. We just reform the parts that God has already made. He created man, but he did it in plurality. He said, let us create man. And he created the world. And so <clears throat> we understand this plurality of God to be that which is, is comforting to us in, in, in all respects. One, that the Father is one who has the authority over all things. He delegates that to the Son, and then the Son sends the Holy Spirit through the Father to do the agent's work on the earth. So the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing the stuff here. We affectionately call him in theological terms the resident Lord of the church. And that Jesus positionally is seated in heaven with the Father. Now he can get off the throne anytime he wants. But that is his spot. And when I say get off the throne that doesn't mean he doesn't rule. It just means he might come to visit. But the Holy Spirit has been sent by Jesus to be the resident Lord of the church. He is the one who moves among us. He is the one that gives us a born-again experience. He's the one who empowers us to ministry and to do what we need to do. And Jesus is bringing all of this prayer emphasis with respect to discipleship to this one point in Luke chapter 11. Turn there with me. Verses 11 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 
through 13. The title of the message is the Numa or spirit of prayer. Verse 11, it says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a, give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, help us as we study. Two things I'd like to concentrate on here. One, the normative provision of fathers on the earth. And then the supra-normative provision of the Heavenly Father to humanity. The normative provision of fathers and then the supra-normative provision of fathers of, of the Father to humanity. Jesus is trying his best to help his disciples understand God's predisposition toward them. And he does, does so on the basis of need. So he says, suppose one of you fathers has a son. And that son comes to him and says, Daddy, can, can I have some fish? Now, he's talking, to most, he's talking to the disciples, most of whom grew up in Galilee or Nazareth. Or Capernaum, like Rest and Herndon Springfield. In the area where he grew up, and that's where he garnered much of his leadership. And the primary food source came from the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Not many of them were shepherds. In fact, we don't know one. Not many of them were herdsmen. We know four of them were fishermen. And so they understood that the primary food source with respect to animal was fish. And that was the... That was what was needed. This wasn't just a want. So if their son came and asked them for a fish, it was because that's, that was breakfast. That was dinner. He's not trying to convey, Daddy, can I have a Mercedes? Can I have a new house? Both of which I would not mind. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just trying to convey that Jesus is not talking about wants here. He's talking about what we need, what you need. Son, you, the father knows you can't do without food. You can't do without food. And if he comes and asks for food, is there a father among you who has such ill intent that he would, he would give him a, a snake? Would any of you, do, first of all, you would not withhold that which was needed. Secondly, surely you wouldn't bait and switch the thing and give him something that would harm him. Or if he asks for bread, again, that which is needed. Would any of you ill-conceived fathers who are bent to be selfish, there's not a really good bone in your body unless God motivates you to do it. You have issues in your own personal life Though you are so messed up, Brett, are you ever going to give your son a scorpion if he asks for bread? No. Now, we would like to think that we are, are, are mostly good people, but Jesus hems us in on this one thing. You can't get past this. You want to read past and act like it's not there, but you can't do that. If you then being evil, 
wait, 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 how did we get here? How did we get here? If you then, being evil, understand how to give good things to your kids, we are, it's not the child abuse is normative. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you are so messed up. And your, your tendency is to not obey God and to go the wrong direction all the time, to do the wrong thing, to think the wrong thing. You have to be hemmed in. You needed a law to tell you not to dishonor your parents. You needed a law to tell you don't murder. You needed somebody to tell you it wasn't a good idea to take the name of God in vain. You didn't even know that. If you're so good, why would you need a law? Why do we need people to tell us that smoking is bad? Why do we need people to tell us that, that drug use is horrible? Because we are messed up on the inside. I, I normally talk about marijuana being bad, and I just enlarged it, and some of y'all got little... Some, some, some of you are, wait, wait, wait. He, he's talking about tobacco now. Whoa. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. What's wrong with oxygen? Help me with that. What is wrong with the stuff God gave us to breathe? Why do you want to take in smoke? Why? And you will justify it. That's how messed up we are. If we then, being that messed up, can find residual goodness from being created in his image to give our kids what they need, don't you think God, in whom there is no evil, there is no wrong, there is no sin, nothing bad, don't you think he can figure out how to give the Holy Spirit to everybody who asks? Now, we're talking about on the basis of need. Need. We need the Holy Spirit. You can't be a good disciple without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. You can't be a disciple without the Holy Spirit. People who, are, people who have the Holy Spirit are still trying to be good. They're trying to figure it out. But you can't be a disciple without the Holy Spirit. You need Him. You can't just... Just will your way into the good graces of God. You can't work harder to try to make him accept you more. It doesn't work like that. Our sin has already separated us from God. It has condemned us. The gavel of, of the universe has sounded. It has gone on the bench guilty, guilty, guilty. There is nothing we can do to fix that by doing good. If you've committed a crime, you must pay for it. Though you try your best to try to make up for it, nothing can. We have blown it, and there's no way we can fix our lives. The only way it can be fixed is if we accept what Jesus Christ has done by taking our death and that he never sinned. Therefore, he could be the only one in the universe who could then be the substitutionary benefit for our death. He died on our behalf. He rose from the grave because he had never committed any sin. Therefore, death could not hold him because the only way somebody could be held by death is if they deserve to die because of sin. He never sinned. Therefore, he never deserved to die. He rose from the dead and then gives us the benefit so that we don't have to die anymore. 
Now, the way all of that is appropriated to us, that truth and those facts, is the Holy Spirit regenerates us. When we repent and accept what Jesus Christ has done, we receive the Holy Spirit and he causes the born-again experience to, to occur. Now, some of you don't, some of you don't understand what the born-again experience is. It simply means that you have been born of God. Jesus was speaking to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a ruling leader of the Jews and came to him by night because he didn't, we think, want to be seen as being someone who was supportive of Christ until he knew exactly where Jesus stood on a number of issues. And so he came under the cover of darkness. I don't know that Nicodemus was nearly as, as personally as inquisitive as most people would like to portray because he doesn't sound like he's trying to get help. He sounds like he's arguing with Jesus about points, which means he's defending the people who sent him, which is probably the, re- the religious elite. And there he is. He says, good teacher, we know, John chapter 3, that no one can do the good that you do unless God is with him. He says, you got to be born again. And Jesus is not into platitudes. You, you, can't, you can't make him feel good with flattery. It just doesn't work. So he was trying to, okay, let me start this conversation out, right? Letting you know that you and I have mutual respect. Jesus said, you got to be born again. Nicodemus responds, not with, what do you mean? He says, well, how can a man be born again unless he enters the second time in the mother room? He can't do that, can he? Mm, okay, you want to go there. <sighs> I'm trying to help you. You came to me. I didn't come to you. What's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. This is why I tell you that that which is born of water comes one way, and then that which is born of spirit comes another. This is why I tell you, you must be born again. Now, some people would say that this passage deals with the idea of what baptism is, that you have to be born of water and the spirit, the passage says. I'm not going to argue with anybody. I I don't think that's what it means because the whole context is flesh against spirit. And before you came into this world, your mama's water broke. So we were all brought through water. I think that's what Jesus is trying to convey. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. And that, since we got in one way, we need to come into the kingdom another way. Because being born of water gained you access here. Being born of the Spirit gained you access someplace else. And we don't need to stay here only. We need to get in the kingdom. How do you get in the kingdom? You must be born all over again. Now, those of you who don't understand, I I, I talked to a, a number of people who said, well, I'm a Christian, but I've never been born again. Hear me. The only way you can be a Christian is to be born again. Now, Simply because the term born again might be offensive to some people in that it somehow makes them think that they haven't done something of a religious tradition. Remember, the term born again is a metaphor. That's all it is. It's not a theological term. Jesus is trying to give an idea that would help Nicodemus understand how you get in this thing. What happens is you really are birthed. You repent. You repent of your sin. You don't climb into some kind of spiritual womb and come out all over again. That doesn't happen. You repent of your sin, but that repentance allows you to be birthed sociologically into a new realm. Being born again. 
It's the only way you can be in the kingdom. So whether you did it according to this passage and literally understood the term born again, or whether you just said, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm not going to live this the way I used to anymore. Please forgive me for all my sins. Sit on the throne of my heart. You're my Lord. Same thing. Same thing. Born again allows us the privilege of understanding what it means to be birthed by the Spirit. That the Spirit of God is the one who is the applicator of everything Jesus did on the cross. He is the applicator of everything that happened post-cross and then resurrection. He is the one that brings it to us. Titus says, literally, we have been regenerated by him. We get to start all over again. We don't have to carry with us our old life. We get to, the slate gets clean. Somebody say hallelujah. You want your slate clean. Yes, you do. I realize you don't think you've done enough bad stuff to need a clean slate, but you have. You have, you have, you have. So many bad things. So the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. It's beautiful. And the disciples, they received the Holy Spirit in order to to have that happen. And you would think uh, just hanging around Jesus would be enough. Learning customs, ways would be enough. Understanding teaching would be enough. Coming to church would be enough. Going to Bible study would be enough. Wasn't enough. So on the day Jesus rose from the dead, in John chapter 20, the disciples were hanging out for fear that that the Jews were coming for them just like they came for Jesus. It had only been three days since Jesus had died. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And and the, 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 the tenor was exactly the same as it was on Friday, on Sunday. So they were hiding out thinking it, if, if people were happy about killing Jesus, they're going to be happy about killing us too. So they had the doors locked, and they were all sitting there, and, and they weren't praying. This wasn't a spiritual moment. They were all depressed. They thought their life had just tanked. The last three years had been worthless. Jesus was dead. What were they going to do? How did they give up their jobs? Why did they give up their jobs? What are you going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to fishing. That was the conversation in the room. And all of a sudden, as they're sitting there pouting, by the way, it doesn't say that in Scripture. I just think that's what happened. As they're sitting there pouting, people will come, Pastor? That's not chapter and verse. I know. Just enjoy the sermon, all right, please? Just enjoy the sermon. You want to get me on every little thing. You're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the point. <laughs> Trying to make it enjoyable. Now, if you want me just to read a passage, I can do that for 30 minutes and get down. I'm sorry. I, you, you can tell I'm venting a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My fault. My fault. I should not do that. I should not do it. Forgive me. Forgive me. <laughs> All right. So they're there, in the room, doing whatever. (laughs) But it sure wasn't worship, I can guarantee you that. It was not worship. Jesus pops in the room. Just doors locked, pops in the room. And they go, ah! Now that's not in scripture either, but I'm convinced that's what happened because Jesus had to tell them, Peace, be still. (laughs) 
That's in scripture. I read my Bible a lot, y'all. I read my Bible a lot. So, yeah, thank you very much. Read your Bible every day. There you go. Peace be still. He said, it's me. It's me. Oh, 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 oh. He's, he's a lot. He's a, oh, my goodness. This change. And he said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them and said this, receive the Holy Spirit. Education was not enough. Hanging around church was not enough. Hanging around Jesus for three and a half years was not enough. You needed the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Not just want, need. Because it's the only way you can get right with him. The only way. Now, again, three and a half years. After this point, hung out with him for another 39 days. And he was teaching them all the scriptures as relevant to who he was and the resurrection and what happened at the cross. And it was just amazing. I mean, what a 40-day retreat. A seminar with the resurrected Lord. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I got everything I need now, right? I can go out and start telling people. I can make it happen. Whoa! I am, I've been changed from the inside. I've been regenerated. Let me go. Ah! You know Peter was out there trying to make it happen. He was impetuous. He wasn't waiting for anybody. Just going to go. Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1. Remember what I told you the Father was going to send? It's going to be the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower you. Acts 1, 4 through 8. He's going to empower you to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Now imagine they were thinking, Wait a minute, Holy Spirit, didn't you give him to us there when we got born again on the day you rose? When we got right? When? Just wait. Just wait, I'm telling you. Wait. And I'm convinced that there's something to the presence of the Holy Spirit that God wants to delineate without bringing some kind of separation. You can distinguish without separating. And that the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, all at one time, everything in your life. He can do that. But he, he sometimes doesn't have to. He can do it however he wants. And here we see theologically, I think Jesus was bringing a distinction between what it means to be born again and what it means to be empowered. So that not everybody would forever confuse the idea that the only way you can prove that you're real, a real Christian is, is if you move in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're separate. Being born again means you are now right with God, that you can call him daddy. Receiving the Holy Spirit for the purpose of regeneration births you into a new kingdom, a new reality, and it's beautiful. But that is delineated from, from what you need to do to now help other people get the same. So being born again helps you get right with God. Receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit helps you help other people get right with God. Why? He said, I'm giving you this so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. The primary purpose of the second dispensing of the Holy Spirit was to empower the disciples to be what they needed to be in terms of who Jesus was when Jesus left. That was the reason. Now, can he do it all at once? Absolutely. Can you have it when you get born again? Yes. 
It doesn't have to be separate. But he distinguishes between the two so that he lets you know there are two functions. Are you listening to me? So here the disciples are thinking, man, I'm ready to go. But he says, you wait. You wait because I got something else for you. And they were waiting there 10 days later after Jesus went up to the Father. It says, all of a sudden, a sound. Like a violent rushing wind filled the house where they were sitting. I don't even... I don't know what that was. Was it a wind blowing? Was it just the sound of a wind? I'm not quite sure, but what does wind sound like? It's kind of like howling. We, we heard it last night in my house. I thought it was an airplane. Anybody hear that wind? Yeah, you say, what in the world is that? That was inside, not outside. That was inside. And they were all going, uh-oh. Oh, this must be it. That's not in the Bible, but they, oh, this must be it. And then all of a sudden, tongues of fire came and separated and came on top and rested on their heads, above their heads. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't even know what tongue of fire, I just kind of, what, how would I perceive that? It's, look at what's on your, look at what's on your head. Look, 120 tongues of fire. And then it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they were so filled with God that day that it said it spilled out into the streets. That was not choreographed. Spilled out into the streets. And they were just speaking in these other languages, languages that were intelligible to the people of the regions in the area. Not language like Aramaic, not Greek, not Hebrew, not... not Latin, these were different languages. And everybody from the area, because it was the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost was a time when all the Jews from all over the world had to come and celebrate a feast, they, these, these Jewish people spoke different languages. And they were there. And they said, how is it that we hear these Galileans speaking in the language, literally the word is dialect, to which we were born? It's not unusual to hear somebody speaking in a different language. It's unusual to hear them perfecting the dialect. Because if you speak Spanish and you're from America, everybody who knows Spanish knows where you're from. <laughs> you never get the dialect. You might get the language. But they know, oh, you, you're from America. Yeah. Hardly anybody ever gets the dialect. And these were Galileans, they said. Galileans were country folk. Not city folk like Jerusalem. So they talk with a little twang. That's why they said, how can these Galileans talk like they came from where I came? How can that be so? I know. They drunk. They drunk. They, 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 just, they, just, they out of their minds drunk. And that's when Peter stopped speaking in the language that he was gifted with and started speaking in the language to which he was born. He said, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're not drunk. It's only, it's only 9 a.m. He says, third hour of the day, they started from 6 a.m. as zero. So third hour would be nine. Nope, we ain't drunk. Let me tell you what this is. This is what the prophet Joel spoke of. Yes. And, and this is the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's enabled us to do this. And so he began to preach, and in tw 20 minutes or so, 3,000 people got born again. It takes me 35. And I get six. You, you get my point. Something happened amazing that day. Amazing. 
3,000 people. The power of the Holy Spirit came on these men and allowed them to be the witness of who Jesus Christ was. God wants to give the Holy Spirit like that to you. Not just in the born again experience, but in the power to be his witness. Now most people will say, well, you know, what about those tongues? I don't understand those tongues. And all those gifts, are those things still for today? We believe they are. We practice them. When I'm not here, when I'm at home praying, I speak in tongues probably more than English. I talk to God a lot in my heavenly language. But people are more, they're more, more concerned about tongues than any other gift. They, they, they don't understand prophecy much. That's why you need to come. It's another plug. Shameless. Come to Friday night. Don't understand prophecy much. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, miracles. They, they think those things, okay, maybe. Uh, but that tongue thing, uh, you know, uh, talking language and you don't understand. Uh, people lifting their hands and talking. Uh, pastor, that's just, hmm. Mm. Except when you realize that you talk in tongues every day. Not spiritual ones, natural ones. You see, tongues is just the word for language. That's all it means in Greek. And every time somebody says something humorous, what do you do? You've laughed a couple of times this morning. Give me, give me the translation of laugh. Not the interpretation. What does <laughs> mean? I want the exact translation of that. Or ha <laughs> or whatever it is you do. Give me the translation. I know what it means. What it means is you think it's funny. Whatever's happening is funny. But you have no translation for it. So they are unintelligible things coming out of your mouth. Unintelligible. They are not language that can be understood by grammar. They are interpreted. And why do you laugh? Instead of saying, that was funny. <laughs> See? See? You're doing it again. Why do you do that? If, if your English language was enough to be able to communicate what you thought about what was being said, then you would be able to use English to do that. If German, if Spanish, whatever language to which you were born was really complete enough to be able to communicate that which you felt, you'd be able to do it, but you cannot. And in every language, it's incomplete. And so they com- God has given us a way to communicate what we feel on the inside that grammar cannot. Yet everybody out there thinks it's normal. What do you do when, when, when you're really sad? You cry. <laughs> Nobody says, stop that. Stop it, stop it, stop it. What you need to say is, I am sad. (laughs) Don't make those unintelligible noises. Say what you mean. There's no language that can communicate how I feel. This is the best way I know how to do it. And so God gave us a way to communicate something deep on the inside that bypasses grammar and our poor vocabulary. And we're trying to communicate with a perfect God with an imperfect language, and we who are imperfect using it. By the way, what would you get in English? See? You got to see in your own language. 
My point is that communication is hard. And, and half of the stuff that comes out of somebody's mouth, we have to say at some point, could you repeat that? What do you mean? Or the other party says, do you know what I mean? Because we can't communicate the way we want, because we have an imperfect language and we are imperfect in our use of it. Imperfect squared. And so God says, if you're going to communicate with me, I don't mind you speaking in your natural language. That's great. But I want to give you something else. Paul says, I pray in the spirit. That means he prays in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. God wants there to be some manifestation of his power. Now, I, I concentrated on this specific gift because it is the most misunderstood. All the others, we can get by with some shorter explanation and, and, and understand a little bit easier. But this one here makes everybody just kind of scratch their head. And why in the world would God do that? And what does that mean? I just want you to know he's working within the normal parameters of humanity. That's all he's doing. He's trying to help us. Why? Because we have a need. We need to communicate. We need to express. And we cannot do it as well as we would like without some kind of outlet in our soul that communicates directly to him. Now, does that mean that everybody has to speak in tongues? No. But it does mean, I believe, that it's available to those who wish. That these gifts, God says eagerly in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire them. Is it necessarily normative? The only thing that's normative about the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you are to be a witness for who he is. That it ought to empower you regularly to to be more of him to everybody else you know. But these gifts help you do that. Let's pray.